Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly, and we're back with another Casting Angles with Mac Brown. How you doing, Mac? I'm doing great, Marvin. You know, uh, there's been a fair amount of water under the bridge since the last time we talked. You're finally off the show circuit. Oh, yeah. It's been a busy, busy uh, season from Denver to, to California. We got to go up to the Driftless area, spend a few days, and we got a few days extra in California before we got back last Monday. So it's, it's nice to be back home. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I know we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but uh, you had a guide school uh, this past weekend, but you've had a ton of rain in Western North Carolina. What are you seeing on the water? We're still seeing a lot of black caddis. Uh, that's probably the predominant patch that we're seeing. We saw some March Browns Saturday when the high water was like six, close to 6,000 CFS on the Tuckaseegee. And we saw some Quill Gordons where where some of the colder colder water streams feed into the river. And uh, I'd say the other thing still is blue wings and midges. Those are still really common. What we fished down there was just because it's high water. The water was dirty Saturday after the rain event on Friday. And uh, we caught we caught a lot of fish there at the takeout where we take out the boats. We weren't in the water. We were staying in Carhartts. We didn't really didn't need waders or anything. But we fished a lot of different dry flies because fish were coming up. There's a lot of the bugs still on the water, even though it's dirty. And that's always a good tactic just because that's one of the few places fish can see. Is up on the surface, the highlight contrast, the bright blue sky day. You got bugs up on the surface. They can't see as well two and four feet down. So they tend to look up. So the dry flies worked really well. And after that kind of stopped, the fish quit rising. They put on some some uh, really lightweighted woolly boogers with not much weight, just black woolly boogers, just plain Jane. They could have been black leeches. They could have been black anything. Just pulled them within a foot of the surface, and those tend to work well all the way till dark on Saturday. So that's what the river was doing out there. And today, we were up on the upper Nantahala with the same group. They stayed over an extra day, and we got to go up there and fish. And it was good. It was good with dry dropper. That tended to work best up there, I think, is dry dropper. And uh, we did a lot of that with just plain Jane, like France flies, pheasant tails, just plain, like just anything. Hair's here. It didn't really matter. The nymph, two millimeter bead of tungsten underneath, like simple flies, like CDC caddis, Elkhair caddis. They were about 30 inches probably below, you know, for the dropper. And that worked really well today. Everybody had big smiles, a lot of pictures. So that was, that was a lot of fun going to the upper. It reminded me of taking my kids up there, Marvin. When they were small, I hadn't been up there with my boys in several years now because we tend to go up here more on Deep Creek. It's nice to be back. Yeah, and you know it's interesting too because I guess you're you have lots of different schools, but the school that you just finished was a I think it was a five day guide school, right? That's right. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. The first day we switched it because my buddy Ken was supposed to be and leave to Germany on Wednesday, so usually we do casting the first day and then then we do a nymphing day the second day and then usually rowing the third. This year we started out rowing the first day. We did casting the second day rigging and nymph fishing on the third day and wet fly and then dry fly on Sunday. So that was the, you know, that's the five days. So we kind of threw us out of order a little bit, but I think they enjoyed doing the rowing first because we knew Friday was going to rain. So the way it worked out was actually better because, you know, the water came up 6,000. That makes a pretty fast float. So the water was better conditioned to row on Wednesday for us this year on the tuck. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, gosh, I mean, all sorts of bad things can happen with inexperienced uh, folks on the oars in fast water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really powerful. It came up about 6,000, I think, CFS, about after the rain event on Friday. And we were sitting at about, I think, 1,600 on Wednesday. So it's a whole, a whole lot better condition to be out there on Wednesday where they could actually see rocks and make obstacle and make, you know, make moves through all these different challenges coming down. It's a whole lot easier. Um, as far as like boat, like it, it gave them more of a reality of what it's like to guide. Cause a lot of the stuff where we work on the Tuckasegee is a lot of lateral movement. You're coming down the river you go laterally all the way across the river, fish five or six different big eddies drop down 10, 20 feet, come all the way back across the river. They got to do that. They came down the river laterally way more than just drifting down the, down the river, you know? So I think that was better for their skills. So they got a lot of that for sure on Wednesday. Uh, very, very neat. And we were talking before we started recording, and this was really, I guess, kind of the idea for this came to me because I was uh, working on my casting this weekend. And, you know, one of the things I always focus on at the beginning of every season is uh, trying to smooth out my casting stroke, right? Um, and we were talking, I guess, probably earlier today about, you know, how to let people know about that. And I guess what we're talking about is, you know, if you, if you don't have a smooth stroke, you're going to end up with, with basically bumps in the bottom leg of your, uh, of your loop. And, uh, I don't know if you want to kind of start adding to that and I'll kind of jump in. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. The bumps in the bottom leg are from the forced turnover crowd. So there's really, I'll break it down. The older I get, there's two schools of thought. Some people like to force turn over the rod tip. Those people tend to push ahead with the rods. In other words, push the rod rather than pull the rod. So if they push the rod ahead, let's say we're describing the forward cast. If we're going to push the rod ahead with the thumb on the back and we jack it up with the thumb early, we're going to have a lot of excess wasted residual energy that goes into counterflex and rebound. And the harder we stop it with that excess energy is going to give a bunch of bumps coming down the bottom leg, which really doesn't look that smooth. But what we can do, the other school of thought, is to pull the rod butt straight. Now, that sounds complicated, but it's really simple. If we pull, the, the like the elbow being up high, like the Statue of Liberty, if we just drop the elbow back to the side and we close the gap, the butt from the forearm is sitting there about two inches apart with a three-point grip, which we'll talk about grip, I guess, in a minute too. But if we have a two-inch gap at the butt from the forearm, we don't close that two-inch gap until right when the elbow gets back next to the side. That's pulling the entire rod into a position where the rod has to straighten because it's loaded from the butt up. And there's a big difference in the two. If we force turnover, we basically bend the upper part of the rod. We never get the butt of the rod engaged, which the, for those that don't know, the butt is the engine of the rod. If you really want to make a more efficient, longer cast or cast into the wind or anytime we need greater line speed, it's just easier to have the butt of the rod engaged. The butt of the, butt of the rod engages the mid-flex of the rod, the mid-flex part of the rod, really is there to support the tip in any other way it gives you those humps you're talking about yeah and i guess too you know by using your thumb and pushing uh you also since you're only bending the tip you get a lot more tip bounce than you would if you're pulling right that's right you also get the other the other beauty of all that is when you're out when people are out playing with casting for however many do hopefully some do <laughs> maybe there's a few percent that do <laughs> but majority probably don't practice their casting to be honest but but let's say they do practice their casting. When they push the rod, the other big handicap of that is it's the only way you can throw tailing loops, which, of course, the tailing loop is when, politely, they called in the 1940s a wind knot, like some miraculous wind came and tied your knot in a 
bunch of overhand knots in your leader or your fly line, even worse. But the wind knot has to come from the, the forced turnover crowd. The beauty of the pulling stroke, it's impossible to throw a tail if you pull the rod straight. In other words, if you pull the rod down and load it where the butt has to unload, it's like this. I guess you could say it this way, Marvin. We used to ask this always, and people would look at you like, that's a rocket science question. But what happens if you take a yardstick, three foot long, and you bend the top and you let go? It's got to straighten. And that's what happens when you pull the rod. The rod's got to straighten. But the beauty is it doesn't straighten with a bunch of excess residue to give you a bunch of bumps in the bottom leg. So the smooth part that we're talking about is only there. It's only there for really the, the, the folks that understand and appreciate pulling it. Unfortunately, that wasn't the dominant thing being taught, you know, years ago. But that's the dominant thing from tournament casting going back into the 1860s. So what we're talking about is as different as, you know, apples and oranges. They're not the same thing. I mean, you still have a rod and line, but they're totally different strokes. Yeah, and that kind of flows into grip too. And so you kind of want you want to talk a little bit about kind of the the benefits of maybe a three point grip versus a thumb on top grip. Sure, sure. With the three point grip, it's like a V grip on a golf club shaft. So if you have your hand sitting at your side, uh, your your forearm and your hand already has a natural V pointing forward. Like you have to work to twist your hand either way. Then you put tension on your forearm on one side anytime you're going to move your hand. But if you just stand in a relaxed position with your hands dangling at your side, you already have that beat. All you have to do is lift your elbow up and your hand to where it's pointing 90 degrees, just sitting and pivot from the shoulder. So you have this 90-degree angle. You lift your arm up like the Statue of Liberty holding the torch. Where is the Statue of Liberty hold the torch? Your forearm straight in front of her body. The torch is straight above her. So that is the casting stroke. Then we drop it. All we got to do is drop the elbow. How fast do we drop the elbow? We move the elbow, the rate of gravity. So if you're not sure what that is, it's about eight to 10 inches for most people. So you take an object and hold it on a picnic table, drop an ink pen, 10 inches, and that's how fast the elbow ought to come back to the side. And that's a pulling stroke. So the only thing you can do is drop the elbow, which pulls the rod in position. And at the very end of the stroke, all we got to do is just pull the pinky because there's nothing there to push the rod forward. The only thing you can do is pull the pinky. Now, once you get better, I mean, people get a lot better. I like three-point grip where it stays open V. Gary likes it. I'm on the road teaching those classes with Gary. A lot of people like to roll the thumb up just a little bit, like 45 degrees on the court. I like to keep it off the court because if it's there, there's a lot of times that I think people want to use it. So just my natural grip since I was a young kid has always been three-point with the index finger laid along the court the point where the rod tip goes. And once people make that connection, that wherever the index finger points, guess what? The rod tip has to point there. So it gives you a whole lot more precision and accuracy. And that's important a lot of times. Of course, if a fish rises, you want to throw your fly over there, we'll point your finger there. And people have been getting trained at that since they're three-month-old babies. Whenever you wanted something as a kid, you pointed at it. And you mumbled something, and your mom would run and got it because you were pointing at it. But People are much better at pointing their index finger along the side than they are trying to point their thumb at something. It takes a lot more effort and work and longevity of casting to be good at pointing your thumb. Yeah, and the other interesting thing, too, is it also, you know, one of the things I realized when I switched my grip was it also keeps you from breaking your wrist backwards as much because you just can't physically can't do it. That's right. No, that's a good point. So when you have your thumb on the back grip, just take your cast up into a back cast and the rod's pointing totally 
straight flat with the ground, you know, parallel with the ground. Of course, that's way too far because the line comes off tangent to the rod tip. So if we want a cast to go out and then back like upward, like say five, 10 degrees, which most people don't go up five, 10 degrees, it usually goes downward. And the way to do that, the three-point grip totally stops the rod in the exact position every time for the back cast, which makes it much easier to learn to cast than uh, the thumb on the back. So that's the other benefit is it blocks, it body blocks because of the way the wrist is holding it. It basically is a wrist body block. Every time you stop the rod, it's stopping in the correct spot. And that's a really good added benefit. But on the road, like teaching all these classes on the, at the, for the shows this winter, that's the only that's the only grip by far we talk about because we know that that's going to take somebody from zero to hero the quickest amount of time. And then once they understand that, then they start appreciating doing it all the time that way because it got them through the the barrier of thumb on the back. I mean, <laughs> when I was twenty, Marvin, if I had a dollar every time on trips, we'd tell people to stop the rod higher. I'd have been retired probably by the time I was 21. But that doesn't work. You can say stop the rod high, stop the rod high all day long like a broken record skipping on the same spot doesn't connect. So the way to get people to, to stop high is literally have them put their index finger up there and boom, everything works works for the better. Yeah. It's interesting too because I know one of the things I actually had to learn to back off power when I switched my grip, right? Because I think one of the things you find is when you pull – and you have that three-point grip, and you're you know much better at pulling with your pinky. You put a lot more force right. into the ride than you used to, so you actually have to kind of learn to back off a lot. Oh, you do, because it's much more mechanically superior, because you're using, basically, for people that want to learn about that, just go, go on the internet and Google first-class levers and third-class levers. Which one gives the rod tip speed the most is first-class, and that's what you're doing with the three-point grip. If you push the thumb, it's basically a one-to-one ratio. If you pull the pinky for the same effort from the hand, you get a two-to-one ratio. So which do you want to do? Like all these people on the ponds, it shows. This winter, first thing you see, people going to try a rod out. What do they do? They strip all the line off. Then they try to throw it to the end of the pond. It's the first thing that happens every time somebody tries a rod. That's really not the way that I view testing a rod. <laughs> it's not the first thing I would do. I mean, most of the time when I'm trying rods, I got to try a lot of nice rods this winter. On the road, the first thing I'll do is pull out about 30 feet, and I'll just start throwing a curve left, a curve right, you know, all kinds of curves off of different techniques. And I see the attitude of the action of the rod, which I'm usually after medium. And once I find the action is, is medium, I go, yeah, I like this rod. And if I try one that's really too fast, too fast action, then I don't like the rod. So then I go put it back on the shelf and find one that's medium. And a lot of companies are making there's a, there's a medium from just about every company out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, folks, uh, if you have other questions you'd like for us to answer, you can always just DM us on social media or you can send me an email. We'd love to answer your questions. And uh, sounds like you might have gotten into a cocktail on me, uh, Mac. But um, it, before I uh, let you go, you want to let folks know, I know you got a bunch of schools coming up. I know you probably have some spots in your guide calendar. You want to let folks know what you got going on, where they can find you and all that kind of good stuff? Sure. Sure. I, be, I have uh, several other schools going on this year from April through October. And we're going to be up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the 14th, which we're looking forward to talking to. That's one of the oldest clubs in North America. And I'm, I'm excited about going back up there again to PA. And they can find me on uh, Facebook, uh, Mac Brown or Mac Brown Flyfish, either one. And then Fly Fishing Guide School on Facebook or Instagram or uh, on Google. 
and that's the way they can contact me. Uh, well, there you go. Well, listen, folks, it's getting warm, although we're going to get a little bit of a cold snap towards the end of the week, but you owe it to yourself to get out there and catch a few. Tight lines, everybody. Tight lines, Mac. Tight lines, Marvin. <laughs>